Biz Marquis was the clown prince of hip-hop. He paved his own way in the industry and in turn opened doors for future legends. He was like a big kid and larger than life. Even in death. Nobody beats the biz. Nobody beats Nobody the biz. Nobody beats the biz. But what was the late great Biz Marquis really like? Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club. This is a show for Gen X hip hop fans who want to relive the glory days and reconsider classic and modern hip hop films from a current day perspective. Together, we'll explore some of the larger societal issues raised in these films. If you've seen today's movie before, then you'll learn some fascinating trivia you might have missed. If you haven't seen today's movie before, then we'll help you decide whether this film is worth your time. Either way, you'll be a smarter hip hop fan by the end of this episode. The next 30 minutes or so, you'll get all this and more. We're three old heads who put their old heads together to vibe on these films for you. I'm Dino Wright, podcaster, filmmaker, longtime hip-hop fan. I got to see Biz Marquis make a surprise appearance at a Beastie Boys Tribe Called Quest show. I'm JB, oh, 80s yeah. and 90s nostalgia junkie, longtime hip-hop fan. And Special Ed's I'm the Magnificent is one of my all-time favorite tracks. And I will often jokingly sing the first verse when fake bragging about something with my family. <laughs> I'm Boogie, a DJ, longtime hip hop fan. I've seen Biz Market perform as an MC uh, during I Love the 90s tour and also as a DJ uh, for a concert we held at Rider University. Ooh. In this episode, we'll answer the question Was Biz Marquis more than just a friend? All Up in the Biz is a documentary movie celebrating the life and impact of the beloved Biz Marquis. The playful Biz left an indelible mark on the world of hip-hop and all those who he encountered, including other hip-hop legends such as Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, Dougie Fresh, and entertainers Tracy Morgan and Nick Cannon. All Up in the Biz is available for viewing on Showtime or for purchase on Amazon Prime Video. Alright, let's get right into it. Uh, Boogie, what did you learn about Bismarcky's upbringing from this episode that you didn't know prior? Yeah, so most of what I knew about Bismarcky was that he was from Long Island. But what I didn't realize is that he was originally um, from Harlem and he lived there until he was 10 years old. And he said after his mom passed away, his family ended up homeless and then Biz ended up in foster care. And he said um, he became good at snapping on people because people would always try to test him and say he knew how to close doors and didn't share too many aspects of his upbringing. I guess it was a little traumatic for him. I said one of the first tapes he heard was the L Brothers from the Bronx. And I was like, okay, that's throwback right there. And they said he heard Busy B rhyming and said, you know what? I'm going to make my name Busy Biz Markey. And I was like, that's kind of dope. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I like that um, he got, he was to roll with the Groove Line crew. I heard them mentioned like before, but I didn't hear too much about them until this documentary. And then it also, one of the things that I, I caught was that when he was talking about the Vapors, I knew that it was, it was actually a true story, but the actual name of the Source crew, that was actually their name. <laughs> I was like, oh, he used the actual name in the video. So that was, that was, that was a little wild right there. <laughs> 
great stuff. Did I write any comments about upbringing of Bismarcky that you learned? I mean, I didn't really know anything about Bismarcky, surprisingly. So everything was new to me. It was, I'm glad they talked about his struggle to get noticed and how he, he, he was doing the dozens and he was snapping. And, but he got accepted. People accepted him. So his persistence went a long way. Yeah, I learned about, I guess, non-traditional upbringing with multiple foster siblings. And uh, he was always a character, they were saying. Some, a couple of the uh, foster siblings were saying. One of the first things he said to them was, I'm allergic to grass. <laughs> and medically, I, I need to wear pro-keds as a medical condition. And when he was running around, like playing football or whatever, he would literally run in slow motion. Like he was always hamming it up. That was really funny. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Some of the interesting facts about Bismarcky or like insight in, into how he was, was that playful nature. Like I loved seeing how he was such like a major collector of all things retro. Always wanted to say like, bet you don't have this or have the first one of these ever made. That was awesome to see. You guys pick up on, on some of those things as well. Absolutely. <laughs> The Charlie's Angels figures. I'm a big Charlie Angels fan from. from yeah, Saturday, man. So I'm totally down with this. The Rock'em Sock'em Robots that he was saying, you know, I, was, I still got my Rock'em Sock'em Robots up in the attic, so I can relate to that. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm a collector of things, too. <laughs> I got old Transformers and G.I. Joe figures and mm -hmm. Silverhawks and He-Man and all that stuff. <laughs> Silverhawks, that's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> got a bunch of that stuff upstairs. And then um, Bismarcky's widow was holding up that '70s electronic handheld football game. I loved that oh, that game so yes. much. It was a great game, electronic quarterback. <laughs> oh yes. man, my brother and I on these long car rides, we would play that back and forth. It was just the red dashes. How you would, you know, go behind the defender and you can pass through the one defender. We would, hours and hours we would play on that thing. I wish I had that again. I knew they they did re-release it like a few years back. Get that again. I, I gotta, yeah. yeah, you can get that. That was that's cool. Yeah, my cousins and my cousins and I had various versions that we had um the football, the baseball. Yeah. Yeah, soccer. Those was those those games were cool. It's, like, it's so entertaining. <laughs> it's so funny when you look at it now and now an app on your phone is like Yeah. So much better. <laughs> Compare that to like Subway Surfer app or one of these things that the kids have and you're like, Oh my god, I can't believe we were entertained by these dashes and dots but they were <laughs> yeah and i'm so addicted to subway surfers so i'm like laughing on the inside when you said that i play it like every day oh that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's that fun yeah that's funny <laughs> any other interesting facts about bismarcky um come up that you picked up on yeah i think like I knew that he was generally liked throughout the hip hop community, but it was just cool to see how he made friends by traveling all over the place and meeting artists. Like, you know, they start off how he used to go from school to school, <laughs> like performing Lottie Dottie. It was just kind of funny because I'm like, dude, he got on by perpetrating. <laughs> yeah, that, I was like, that. he lied. He was a liar. <laughs> that was his song. <laughs> So it was like a fake it till you make it. They said he was faking it till he makes it. He would go to the schools and yeah. start performing Lottie Dottie and, and saying it was his song. Oh, man. 
That's hilarious. And it was yeah. great. I like how um you know Rakim said how you know he walked up into Wyandak, um and just started beatboxing. And Rakim was like, "Hey, oh, that's a beat." And then he just walked over and started freestyling on the beat. And um they just you know they just started bonding over that, and he started traveling all over Long Island and different boroughs. And it was funny because as they were interviewing different people, everybody was just kind of saying the same thing. I don't know. He just kind of appeared. Like he just was there. <laughs> he just kind of appeared. He was just there. Like nobody can really pinpoint where he just popped on the scene. It's just like he just was there all of a sudden. All of a sudden, and um, it was cool. Like you know, Dougie Fresh was talking about how they became friends and how he just popped up at his house and just was hanging out. <laughs> and he just kept coming back. And um, Dapper Dan had you know similar stories. It's like that was kind of cool. Like he just. Like he just became so beloved because he was so personal and just wanted to meet people. And that was really cool. That was the most impressive aspect of, of this for me is his hustle that he had. Um, he, he was MC and then he fell in love with Dougie Fresh's beatboxing. And he said, teach me how, and he would show up at his house every day for like three weeks and just study him and learn to beatboxing techniques. And then later on when that, quote unquote scandal came about with um, the sampling and he got in trouble for the sampling. He's like, that's it. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to learn how to DJ. And he became a world renowned DJ, huge corporate parties, huge celebrities would invite him. He just taught himself how to, how to spin. And yeah. he just kept reinventing yeah. himself, which was incredible. Yeah. That sampling controversy was that song Alone Again by Gilbert O'Sullivan, the lawsuit. It was a shame because he was denied to clear the sample, but he just proceeded to use it anyway. Some said that he should have just asked for forgiveness rather than permission. Like instead of at, just just use it. Because back then, if he didn't, you know, how much hip hop is Gilbert O'Sullivan listening to? And it wasn't like there was social media. Like he may not even gotten word that that song was out. Yeah. So sometimes been on the radar at all. right. There's a lot of groups that sampled a ton of stuff back then that they got through before the sanctions really started coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that that soured him to the whole record industry, and then yeah. trans transitioning to a DJ, and he made it to the top. He's a phenomenal DJ too. There. Yep. Mm-hmm. He he used to I I've seen clips of him. He used to DJ um, using DJ sets using just forty five records. So he would just have forty fives, and wow, he had wow. a he had a he had a pair of custom made Technique twelve hundreds that just for forty fives. And I'm like, wow, like I don't even know how much money it costs to get those because just to get a pair of Technique twelve hundreds by himself. You will run a bit at least, you know, if you want to get a new a new pair, you're gonna run at least a grand or so you're looking at five hundred, at least five hundred up, and then to get them customized for the forty fives. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But he's an amazing he was an amazing DJ. Yeah, I, I love his story of, of how he emerged and like you said, he just showed up everywhere, but he got tied in with this mixed master Mike and Dave, the promoters. And then I love the story how he met Big Daddy Kane over at Albee Square, Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And he 
at first he, he came there to battle him and then he's like joking around with him. He's like, listen, I, I got to introduce you to these guys. Mike and Dave gets Big Daddy Kane on the shows. I gets his his name out there. And he says, you know, I'll get you a record deal. He just kind of threw it out there and, and he followed through with it. Yeah. Craziest thing, too, is that Biz entered Rakim in an MC contest in Harlem and he, and Rakim did not win that contest. I'm like, how does he not win the MC contest? That seems impossible. Who is this guy that beat him? I need to find who this yeah. guy is that beat him. And, like, we got to hear some of his stuff. Like, come on now. <laughs> nah, it's all it's subjective. Yeah, but- I, he, he said the guy's name. I forget what it was. Yeah, he did. I can't remember. He said it's all. Yeah, he said yeah. it was in his. You know, he was in Harlem, so that that probably had yeah. a little sway to it. But still, <laughs> right, right. What can we talking about? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Biz hooked up Big Daddy Kane with Marley Marl. Um, everybody, Marley Marl was. You know, he wanted to. He he was. He had so much influence back then. He was the guy to, to go see, and Biz had that direct contact with him. Um, I love this one quote that Jazzy Jeff put out there. He said, Marley Marl was Dre before Dre and the Juice Crew was Wu-Tang before Wu-Tang. That one stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, the Juice Crew, there was a conglomerate of just raw hip-hop talent. Mm-hmm. Like, all of them have bars. Super Every yeah. one of them. Yeah, they all have bars. All of them. I mean, Shane and Craig G and Cool G and Shantae and Biz, like they all, and then Kane on the scene, like Master Ace, they all, all of them had rhyme skills just for days, bars. And like Marley Marl was like a super producer back then. And he had such reach because he had direct line to WBLS. So whatever he had, he got direct line to the airwaves with no middleman. That was crazy. <laughs> like you could put us, you could cut a song with him, and it'll be on the radio the same day. <laughs> and it had tie into Uncle Uncle Ralph McDaniel's with uh, music video box. Cold Chillin' Records was born out of this. Um, and mm-hmm. then business influence was not only in you know the hip hop music industry. You see, Nick Cannon um, knew him from. Used to carry crates for him, I think. And mm-hmm. this taught Nick Cannon how to charm the women. And you know, the amount of kids he has, he did a good job. <laughs> I had to throw something like that out there. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, um, Nick Cannon was really influenced by Biz Marquee. I didn't know that. And um, yeah. Tracy Morgan also was super close to Biz Marquee. They, they grew up together, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize that 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 they were as close as they were. I mean, I knew that later on, Biz and Nick Cannon were close, but I didn't know that it stemmed all the way back to Nick Cannon being seventeen and carrying some of Biz's crates for him when he had to do shows. I was like, "Wow, really?" Because I've seen episodes of Wild and Out where Biz Markie would be on there, and you can definitely see that they were close, but I didn't know how far back they went. It's like, man. Yeah, so let me transition to this. Um, this documentary was really produced by his widow, Tara Hall. And it was kind of her story. 
to commemorate Biz's life. Did you guys know anything about Tara Hall prior to watching the documentary? If And if not, what are your impressions of her? Or either way, what are your impressions of, of Tara Hall? You want to take that, Buggy? I started following Tara Hall like a few years back. I think it might have been, I don't know if it was right when he got sick or right before he got sick, but I saw him in the picture, and I think, and she and he was she was giving her a shout out or something like that. I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to follow her, all right. So I started following her. Um, but I remember when he got sick, she was always posting updates on him and just trying to, um, you know, keep him in good spirits and just keeping, you know, knowing that, no, he's not gone. He's still with us and he still needs prayers and things like that. And I thought she was seeing pretty genuine. And I, even now, like she still posts, you know, every now and then about his legacy and like trying to hold people accountable for, for different things. Like I think right now, one of the big things was somebody, she said somebody who has a block on his, um his Instagram account. And they won't let it go. And I was like, wow. But uh, one thing I didn't know was I didn't realize that she was a model prior to getting married. And I, so that was kind of cool. And I also never knew the story of how they met. So um, when she was telling the story about how they met in New Orleans while he was DJing, I was like, okay. And then she said, you know, he, he was joking around and asked for a phone number. So she was like, I'll give it to him, whatever. And then he actually remembered her phone number and called her back on that Monday. And it's like, I told you I wasn't going to forget. And now they became friends and how the relationship progressed. And then he asked her to marry him, but she wasn't ready at the time. So she had a flourishing career. So she was, you know, doing music videos and, you know, photo shoots and runway work. But then she came back 10 years later and said that, you know, everything was kind of still where she, you know, where she left it. And he's like, you know, I knew you were going to come back. I was like, wow, that was kind of dope. <laughs> I had a little tear like. <laughs> That's really heartwarming. Yeah. That was, that was a touching story. Yeah. What a, yeah. She seems like a lovely woman. I didn't know. I didn't really know much about her at all. Yeah. You mentioned the modeling. She was in a lot of music videos like Boys to Men, I'll Make Love yeah. to You, that, and a lot of popular videos back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he kept, like you said, he kept everything in the same place. She bought housewares, plates, stemware, et cetera, for business house. But she was following up on her career. She came back 10 years later. And everything is the same place. And uh, they end up getting married at that point. Yeah. And they showed that um, she had had a daughter. So this became Bismarcky's stepdaughter when they were married. He was such a, he seemed like such a good uh, father figure to the daughter, Avery, who, who's uh, my, my daughter, same name. I thought that was such a cute thing that he was, because he's such a kid himself. So he was, yeah. he was great with her. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about Tara Hall either. And it turns out she had an amazing career. I mean, Wilhelmina Models is no joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get into that agency, you, you're really doing something. And it takes a lot of strength to be someone's medical advocate. I do a fair amount of reading about living well and dying well. And a lot of it's about how you want your end to be and um, how you want to go and you know how kind of care you want at the end of your life. And all of it's hard. And for her to do that uh, for him with, you know, it's hard enough for a normal person, but for a celebrity like, like Biz, yeah. it's even worse. And so 
I, I commend her for being strong through all this and then telling her story afterwards with this documentary. What would you say is the most surprising thing in this documentary, All Up in the Biz? Anything surprise you? Yeah. I mean, like, I think my most surprising thing was one of the things that we kind of touched we touched on already was him, how big of a collector he was. I mean, like, I knew he, I knew he collected things because, you know, every now and then he posts stuff, like, you know, but I didn't realize that he had a whole, in, that huge storage unit full of things. I was like, wow, he's like a super collector. But, um, but he said, you know, yeah. he started collecting things from his childhood that he never had. And when I heard that, it kind of made sense um, because, you know, he had, he wouldn't really talk too much about it, but I know that it was a little rough on him sometimes. And, you know, those, a lot of those toys that he was talking about, you know, those were the top of the line toys back, back in the day. But it said, you know, he always, like you said, he always teasing people, you know, about having, you know, I have, I have the first one of these, or I bet you don't have this. And I was like, wow, that's kind of what kids would do back in the day. <laughs> and it all made sense. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I didn't really, I, I remember the song Me and the Biz by Master Ace in the video where he has the Bismarcky puppet. I love that song because mm-hmm. I, I used to, I used to imitate it, you know, with tapping my, my, uh, my neck. It's like Me and the Biz, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. I didn't know that he didn't yeah. like that song. Like he wasn't happy with it. Like, and, and uh, I don't know if he kind of cleared it with him. Maybe he thought it made him look silly or something like that. I loved Master Ace's apology rap here in the documentary he he did a whole apology rap saying yeah. you know, he shouldn't have done that he should have went through him first and uh other surprising thing is the just a friend demo tape that was thrown off the porch by one of the was the producers bernard where oh, like yeah. it was so unique and so out there that he's like no this is not gonna work and then as soon as other got in other people's hands they're like yeah this put this out there put this out there it's gonna be a hit mm-hmm. yep Shantae that said that he had to ice down his lips after some beatboxing sessions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were so swollen. That cracked me up. Yeah. I believe it. That's got to be really hard, like physically. But I think the thing that most surprised me was just how many careers he got to get started. I didn't realize that he was instrumental with, I mean, two guys like Big Daddy Kane and Rakim. Holy cow. Like without Biz, like we may not have like got to you know, witness this greatness. Wow. <laughs> We're more in debt to big to biz than we thought. Yeah, and and like definitely, you know, a lot of Rakim and Big Daddy Kane are in a lot of people's top five <laughs> MCs of all True. time. That's that's some heavy influence right there. That just that just shows, like man. <laughs> yeah, I got to see them both at the Rock the Bells festival on August, and I was like, these guys, legends. They still they still have it. They're they're revered. And if it wasn't for Bismarck, he, they may not have made it. You're right. I mean, he was so influential. It's, it's, a, it's unreal. I also like the scene of the Celebrity Fit Club. Uh, he, he won that Celebrity Fit Club when he had lost the weight. So, I mean, whatever he put his mind to, he could do it. It's, it's a shame that he couldn't get his health all the way back. Yeah. Um, couldn't really control it, unfortunately. But yeah, you could tell the influence he had on these guys. Rakim was 
tearing up at the end. And he was, they filmed in the high school, that Wyandotte high school where he had performed with biz and he was so grateful. And big daddy King was effusing praise and gratitude for all that biz did for his career. Yeah. You can tell he was revered by these guys. Like even, and then you got the other, other um, MCs that were, you know, that he helped that he kind of, you know, hung around with and influenced a little bit back and forth, you know, EPMD, you know, De La Soul. I was like, wow. Like, they, they all have respect for him, you know. Yeah, a lot of those guys all grew up in the Long Island area, so they were yeah. they were tight. Like, that's a different breed um, of folks there. <laughs> so I guess, like, one final question as we wind down is, did you like the overall format of the documentary? Did you like it in general? The boogie? Well, I mean, like general, the general format for me was 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 pretty good. I mean, I like always incorporating people that have that are you know close people that are really close to them. So just having like you know those those MCs that were really close to them, giving insider perspective. You know, had some family met some some of his family members with his um, foster brother and sister. Um, so I, I like that that format. The one thing that kind of bu- that was a little kind of weird to me a little bit was the um the segments with the puppet with the biz puppet it was kind of it, it was it was i wouldn't say that it weirded me a little bit but it, it just made me real sad but i do understand mm-hmm. why tara included those segments i think those segments were very were therapeutic for her yeah. because she got to express her perspective on what was going on while he was while he was sick, and just showing some transparency um, into how she was dealing with with him. So I understand it from that perspective. But I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, it was, it was it took me back a little bit, but I got used to it after like you know the first couple of them. I was like, "All right, all right, all right. This is not meant to be." any kind of slight or a diss to him or anything like that. I just kind of think she's kind of taught was talking herself through it and just sharing that with us while she was talking herself through it. It was interesting and clever. I'm not sure it landed completely, but the way you say that it's just more for her to talk through and, and, and process the experience makes sense in that kind of, in that case. And, you know, the idea of using a puppet is really fun. <laughs> and, and Biz Marquis was a fun guy. Right. So, you know, some of these fictionalized reenactments and things, I think that part worked for me. Uh, but the, the thing I really enjoyed, and this was very surprising, was that opening credit sequence set to the, the Bread song, It Don't Matter to Me, which, you know, you, this reflects how wide range uh, Biz's musical tastes were. When I saw Biz, he came on stage to do Benny and the Jets by Elton John during a BC Boys show. And, um, and this is similar to what we saw in Dear Mama where Tupac loved the song Vincent by um, by uh, Don McLean. And so, you know, it just shows that, you know, these old, the OGs, they, they really drew on some of the stuff that they grew up around, including things you wouldn't normally associate. You know, these soft rock guys like Don McLean or uh, David Gates and Bread. And so I need to know more about yeah, that part because it was really like uh, poignant. So it, it set the mood in, in, a, in a way I didn't expect. 
Yeah, Prince Paul did the music for this, and Prince Paul was the one who kind of introduced us to De La Soul and did a lot of the production for them. So he was kind of behind that, and it was a great selection. I agree. The puppet thing to me was a little bit jarring at first, like you said, but I agree. It's kind of a nod to his playful nature. It's almost like I can see Bismarcky being like a permanent fixture as like a Sesame Street character because he was just so jovial and great with the kids. And you can see, remember, he was on Yo Gabba Gabba that Nickelodeon yeah. showed up. My kids used to watch. And Some I remember the first stuff. I remember the first time that Biz popped up on there and he said, Biz is beat of the day. And he was teaching how to beatbox. I'm like, this is brilliant. You know, and my kids got a good chuckle out of that. And they would look forward to I wish I was DJ Lance. Yo Gabba Gabba. I mean, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, I like the format overall. Like you said, it, it, it showed the hospital scenes. You see the upbringing. There's a lot of people that he influenced in his life, including those mega hip hop stars and entertainers. And it was just a touching tribute overall. Like, I'm glad that Tara got to tell her story because, and then at the end, there's a speech she gives a little soliloquy at the end where mm-hmm. I guess there was some neg- negativity surrounding Biz's death. People tried to sue Biz's estate and misappropriate, misappropriate funds. So she mm-hmm. wanted to have her say at the yeah. end there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's some of that stuff that she mentioned was some of the stuff that I'd seen in posts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we watched this one. Uh, Biz was such a such a great character. <laughs> yeah. Tr- truly a pioneer. Yeah. One one part that I, I, I caught it showed us there was a still shot of of Biz with oh god I can't think of her name um, stepdaughter and he had on. Um, a t-shirt and if you look real close at it it was from the shirt that he had was one of Ramos um burners from Beach Street oh, no way <laughs> yeah it was that the graffiti is our yeah, art it was, yeah it was yeah yeah graffiti is oh, art and art is a crime I was like oh wow okay. yeah <laughs> it's like oh yeah, I hope in his collection of some of those early, I mean, the, the, the T-shirt stuff, was it Shirt Kings or something? Um, yeah, Shirt Kings. Yeah, Shirt Kings, he referenced, and he was big with them, and like you said, Dapper Dan, and some of his stuff will be memorialized in some of the museums. There was something that I saw was at the Universal Hip Hop Museum in the South Bronx. Yeah. The... December 11, 1985, Biz in in the studio with Roxanne Shantae, famous scene. And Uh that pictures and or videos of that are like memorialized at the hip hop, Universal Hip Hop Museum. Yeah, Bismarcky was a real treasure, national treasure that that we lost too soon. Go see this, everybody. Yeah, this is definitely worth your time. Definitely, definitely. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs, JV, Boogie, and Dino Wright. Theme music by Boogie. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. Bring it.
On the next episode of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast, your HHMCs review In Too Deep with Omar Epps and LL Cool J. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Shout out to your listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't hate, accommodate. Even in death, nobody beats the biz. Wait, nobody I, beats the biz. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. You have to emphasize the first part. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I had the wrong, yeah. I had the wrong one, wrong arrangement. <laughs> Shout out to Brain Freeze Trivia in the Lehigh Valley. Check out the Instagram, Brain underscore Freeze underscore Trivia double underscore Time. That's Brain Freeze Trivia Time on Instagram.